0: good morning four oaks church pastor paul here it is tuesday morning february 8th hope you all are doing well we are right in the middle of a journey through the book of romans so we're preaching on romans on sunday mornings at four oaks but then we're taking these 10 or 15 minutes every weekday for these pastoral devotionals to sort of track alongside the sermons and to talk about issues theological biblical cultural application otherwise that that kind of are arising out of that preaching series. And we've been in Romans six, on Sunday mornings and, and Paul's burden in Romans six is to correct some misunderstandings and misapplications of the gospel. So Paul comes in, he's been teaching through the book of Romans or writing in the book of Romans about this idea of justification by faith that we are not saved by what we do. We're not saved by our works. Our works do not earn us grace before God, but in fact, salvation is a free gift. And the way that we are justified is through faith in Christ and trusting in his substitutionary death and atonement for us. But it seems that there were many in that day, just like there are many in that day, who were wrongly um, applying this gospel of grace. And it seems that some were saying, you know what, if, if, if God's grace abounds or is poured out in the midst of sin, then obviously the more we sin, the more God's grace will be revealed. And Paul's like, no, 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 you misunderstand the gospel. Um, A second thing that people were saying, well, if, if God's um, grace is so amazing and he forgives all of our sins, then it really doesn't matter what we do. It only, um, you know, God's going to forgive us for our sins anyway. And what Paul's been saying to us in Romans six is that if that's the case, you're misunderstanding the gospel. You may not really have embraced the gospel at all. If that's your posture towards sin, sin, or I'm sorry, obedience in the life of the Christian is very important. And so let me read a a relevant text from where we were this past Sunday. Romans six. to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness and so paul is making some pretty pretty big indicative statements here he he's saying that for those who are trusting in jesus christ they have been freed from sin and now that they are free from sin they have been bound or attached to christ and righteousness and as a result their lives will reflect it. And one, one of the things that that Paul has been hopefully trying to sort of cut off at the pass here is that obedience in the life of the Christian is somehow unimportant or or peripheral. So yesterday, Monday, we looked at this idea from 1 Corinthians 3 that some have, have looked at this, um, the, this issue of what is the relationship between faith and works and they've wrongly misapplied something else Paul's been teaching. In 1 Corinthians 3 Paul's been teaching about this idea that many in the church in Corinth were acting worldly or were acting fleshly. And instead of walking in righteousness, they were walking in worldliness. And some have looked at that and say, "Well, clearly Paul's talking about three kinds of people." He's talking about spiritual Christians, he's talking about non-Christians, then he's talking about fleshly Christians. Well again, that sort of um, confuses the categories because nowhere in scripture does it talk about there being three kinds of people, there's only two kinds of people. So then we have to ask, how are we to rightly view, if that's the wrong way to view the relationship of faith and works, what's the right way to think about faith and works? That's, that's where we have been camping out, that's where we're going this week let's look at another dimension of this by flipping over to Hebrews chapter 12. And one of the things that we need to keep in mind, um, when we're thinking about the relationship between faith and works is to, to hold up what J.I. Packer calls this idea of an antinomy. Now what's an antinomy? Antinomy are two, Equally true statements or ideas which appear maybe on the surface to be contradictory, but which in fact are not. They appear to be irreconcilable, but in fact, that they're 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 not irreconcilable. In fact, they're equally true on a parallel track to each other, even if the way they're reconciled may not be immediately clear to us. And the in the example that Packer gives in this regard is this idea of the fact that God is sovereign and man is responsible and that we see all over scripture. The idea that God is sovereign, he's sovereign over salvation, he's sovereign over suffering, he's sovereign over all the affairs of humanity, yet at the same time, man is responsible for his actions man can't blame god for making him do something although it's ultimately god who decrees everything that happens and and that's a hard thing to reconcile in our minds but just because we can't reconcile it doesn't mean it's not true which means packer's point is wherever whatever we see clearly taught in the word of god we want to brace embrace as as true even if the way it corresponds with other truths in scripture aren't immediately obvious to us. And we don't want to throw away one teaching of scripture um, for the sake of embracing another teaching of scripture. We want to continue to bring these forward together as much as we can through the power of the spirit to have a clear understanding of what God's word is teaching Um, in its totality and that's very much the case with faith and works okay because we're all familiar with what paul has been saying in romans um three you know we are justified by faith in christ jesus it's the same thing he says in galatians it's the same thing he says in ephesians 2 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourselves it is a gift of god not by works, so that no one may boast so then We wanna hold those up while at the same time, not throwing away or tossing away what the scripture says about works, all right? And fruit and, and obedience. So as an example, let's look at Hebrews 12, 14 for a second, 12 verse 14, Paul says, or actually the writer of Hebrews, we don't know if it was Paul or not, probably not Paul. I think it was personally Luke. Okay, but that's a whole nother point. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, without which no one will see God. Let me repeat that. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now let's think about, that. that's a huge statement. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that without holiness, And here he's talking about not the imputed holiness or righteousness of Christ that Paul is talking about, where God declares us righteous. He's talking about a practical holiness and an experiential holiness, um, an actual growth in holiness of becoming dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The writer of Hebrews is saying, without that, without the evidence of God's miraculous grace in your life that produces fruit, that produces obedience, you aren't going to see God. In other words, you're you're not you're not a child of God, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Um, if your life, in other words, remains unaffected, unchanged by virtue of your profession of faith. in other words, you, you profess Christ, but there does is no corresponding change in your life. The writer of Hebrews is saying, That's not salvation. You will not see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Is that an outlier? Absolutely not. We can see this over and over. There's many places in Scripture we could go. We could go to James chapter 2, for example. Without faith, works, without works, faith is dead. But let me read this particular passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Paul says um, let's see here. Let's start in, well, I am showing my biblical ignorance right now. Sorry, I was a little ahead of myself. Verse nine, he says in chapter six of first Corinthians, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God." So again, Paul is just putting a little more meat on the bone to what the writer of Hebrews has already said. The writer of Hebrews says, "'Without holiness you won't see God, and then Paul says, let me give you a specific list of sins by which if you commit these, you demonstrate that you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Now, we look at this list and we might be a little caught off guard because we might say, "Well, hold oh, wait a minute. I'm I feel like I'm greedy sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm an idolater sometimes. I feel like I'm Someone who demonstrates some of the or practices some of these sins that the scriptures warn us about, does this mean I'm not going to heaven, that I'm not part of the kingdom, or does it mean that I have to earn my way into God's kingdom? Now, this is where it's really, really important to again, in that idea of antinomy, to, to hold up both teachings that we see true in scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is just as true before we read this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 and Hebrews twelve then it is after, right? And what Paul seems to be saying, again, is that when we come to faith in Christ and have a new identity, a new master, a new Lord, okay, as he says in Romans 6, then the necessary change that begins to happen is one that impacts our life and our heart and our actions so that the obedience and the fruit that is produced in our life by virtue of the fact my phone's going off there sorry about that by the fruit and obedience that is produced in our lives okay by virtue of the grace of god again is it the basis for our salvation but it's the evidence of that salvation What Paul's talking about here is those who refuse to repent of their sin, those who harden their hearts against God, no matter what kind of profession of faith they had in the past or what sort of salvation experience or what sort of walk down the aisle or baptism. The thing that, that confirms our new identity in Christ is the fruit of that righteousness that God produces in our life. It's not the basis of our salvation. That's the grace of God but it's the fruit, it's the result, it's the signal, it's the, it's the thing, it's the evidence of. And so what we have here in, in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter six is Paul saying, here was your identity, here were the things that characterized you before, but by the grace of God, you have begun to change. Not perfectly, not completely, not in full, okay? But decidedly, evidentially, um, if that's a word, um, um, clearly, and and when we think about it, what Hebrews twelve is saying in relationship to First Corinthians six, what we realize, okay, is that um, all of these things no longer comprise our identity. They're not the deepest part of us. These particular sins and practices it doesn't mean we won't struggle with some of them. It just means that we won't be content in struggling with them. We want to repent of them, change, throw ourselves upon the mercy and grace of Christ. And so, so that's the lesson again for today is don't, neg- don't negate one part of God's Word to affirm another part of God's Word. Keep going deeper until you get to that place of understanding how these things relate to each other. And that's our lesson today from Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, we're going to continue this discussion because I'm sure it raises all sorts of other questions, particularly we come to a, a passage like James 2. Um, where Paul, where James is talking about justification, and Paul's talking about justification, they seem to say different sorts of things related to faith and works, but that's tomorrow. Uh, for today, let me pray for you. Lord, um, go with us today. Lord, help us to remember who we were apart from you. But now we've been changed and transformed, and we've been given the grace of being saved, and the grace of being able to repent, and turn, and trust in you. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name.